This is a man who smokes Marlboro cigarettes. What kind of a man is he? I believe in economic freedom, personal freedom, social freedom. When I get up in the morning and I come to work, it's not just about a product or a company. There is an underlying principle which I believe in. It is a principle which sustains me and motivates me in what I do. I really genuinely love tobacco. I love what I do. I'm Sarah McVie and this is How Do You Sleep at Night? It's a show about the very personal line between right and wrong. It's about the people who live their lives in the face of judgement. Imagine going to a party and saying to people, Hi, I'm a tobacco lobbyist. That industry has shown itself over decades to be the least trusted, the most unethical industry on the planet. In this episode, we meet Patrick Matart, a smooth-talking Canadian with a background in political spin. These days, he works from an office overlooking the Yarra River. His job is to make the case for big tobacco. I don't like the term big tobacco. I think it's a really antiquated term. I think we've reached a point in time where it's no longer about big tobacco, but there's new tobacco and there's old tobacco. Philip Morris are old tobacco. They've been at it 170 years. But being here in their bright white offices, it feels like they're really angling for a new tobacco vibe. When I first asked them to speak to me, they said they have a new strategy. They've decided to be more open with the media, they said. They've invited me to a party they've put on for the Greek business community. There are around 40 men sitting around their foyer eating fancy canapes and drinking expensive champagne. To understand where we are as a Patrick's tall, clean-shaven and comfortable in his sharp suit. His job is to impress people and he's got his lines ready. And tobacco has been around for a very, very long time. In fact, we've had tobacco for almost as long as we've had Greeks. And uh, as you all know from your strong sense of history, that is a very, very long time. People had been using tobacco products since about 100 AD. The products were first commercialized in the 1500s. And even today, the WHO estimates that there still will be around a billion smokers in the world in 2030. Quoting the World Health Organization is pretty ballsy. And we're just so thrilled that you've given up some of your time to come here to listen to us talk about our uh, our vision and share our vision of a smoke-free future. Thank you very much. I'm curious to know how someone becomes a tobacco lobbyist. Does anyone ever say, when I grow up, I want to work for a cigarette company? I'm meeting Patrick in an inner city pub. It feels a little like his media guy chose it just for me. There are band posters on the walls, a pool table and craft beer on tap. Can we start, like, way, way back? When you were a little kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a politician. Um, I've been fascinated by politics and public affairs since I was a kid. And it literally started when I was uh, 12 years old. Um, I got a paper route. And it was Route 15 with the Daily Sentinel Review, which was my local paper in Woodstock, Ontario. 
And I didn't come from a political family or even a white-collar family. Um, we didn't really talk a lot about politics at home. But in delivering the newspaper, I started reading the newspaper. I started following political developments. There's that old saying, if you're not a socialist when you're young, you have no heart. If you're not a conservative when you're old, you have no brain. Patrick's evolution from the left to the right happened way quicker than that. As a 12-year-old, he flirted with the left. But as he got to understand politics a little better, he became a staunch conservative. Around the time that I was um, 16, I realised that um, I was more of a Tory than a Liberal, and I became more active in conservative politics. Were you a fairly unusual child? Thoroughly unusual. <laughs> Thoroughly unusual. Around this time, my pie and mash arrives. Very Patrick's not eating. I suppose there's worse things that a teenager can be doing than volunteering at the local uh, political campaign. What about friends at school? Were you kind of... Did they think it was weird? I, I generally hung out with the, uh, with the nerds. So my, uh, my friends in the debating club and the United Nations club were, were highly <laughs> supportive. Patrick tells me a story I'm sure he's told many, many times before. By the age of 33, he was working in Canadian Prime Minister Stephen Harper's office. He was seen as a wonder kid of conservative politics, known for understanding what everyday people wanted from politicians. He studied hard. He even came to Australia to observe John Howard's campaign style. So I was always a believer in and I think an executioner of, you know, clear, concise, impactful political communication. And in Howard, I saw a principled conservative leader who had an ability to connect with ordinary people. And we were able to... Um, uh, to take away a number of, uh, of lessons. And it, it was interesting in, in reaching out to some of the people around Prime Minister Howard, uh, we began a, a relationship that has continued uh, to this day, a very strong relationship. What do you think people think of you? I, I, think people, I, I think people, when they meet people like me and the people that I work with, I think they see people who are genuinely committed to these underlying principles of personal freedom and individual responsibility. Don't say cigarettes, say Philip Morris. Oh, is there any other kind? Not for you, there isn't. Nothing but the best for Mr. Ricardo. You see how easy it is to keep a man happy? Why not give your husband a carton of Philip Morris cigarettes? I can remember the commercials for Philip Morris. That's your lady to smoke. Philip Morris and nothing else for a long while. And, uh, and anyone who's there, yeah, that's right, you got nothing to lose but your smoker's cough. I remember that one, yeah. That killed a lot of people, including the guy who did the commercials. Okay, um, excuse me. My name is Les Burns. Uh, I was born in 1938, so I'm 78 years of age. Uh, I live in Maroopa Junction. I've been a uh, laryngectomy since uh, August 2012. So we're going on five years next month. This is what personal freedom and individual responsibility can look like. Les has a hole in his neck. Uh, well, there's all a 
think it's all look like all this time. Then it goes directly to your tra- tra- trachea. So your larynx, which is uh, where you add your vocal cords, that's no longer there. Uh, you breathe uh, normally through the stoma. That's how I breathe through the neck. I'm a neck breather. One of the games we used to play quite a lot was cards, cigarette cards. When you were too young, remember that? You had to sort of throw them in the air, land near the wall. The closer to the wall we went. Kids used to play with cigarette packets, empty ones. Biggest thing you miss is swimming. You can swim, but you wouldn't swim very long. Because the water goes straight down in your lungs. It's over. If you did fall in the water, someone had to pick you up and turn you on your, on your head and hang on to your legs and shake you up and down. <laughs> That's happened to some people I know that have been lorries. Who do you blame for your situation? Myself. My choice. I've got no one else to blame but myself. I don't have an opportunity to give it away. I did several times. I think uh, Mark Twain said it's easy. He did it a thousand times. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's uh, no. the longest I ever did it was probably three or four months at a time. It was just a habit that you couldn't get rid of. Do you have any problem with people profiting off cigarettes? Uh, well, I don't know. It's a business. It's a business. You know, until they make it illegal, that doesn't make them right. Hi, Brianka. Hi. Nice to meet you. I'm going to perch near you if that's okay. So I've provided them with a little bit of background on on the book club. Philip Morris have a book club club and in their spirit of openness I've been invited to attend. It looks like a corporate video. There are about 10, 20-somethings in business casual sitting in an open-plan breakout space talking about a book on the rise and fall of BlackBerry. They had the ambition. They had everything that is required to make a business successful. But the only skill that they lacked was having that dynamic view of change. And The staff talk about Philip Morris as if it's a tech startup, which for such an old company is kind of bizarre. Right now, these guys are in a weird place. They're still selling ciggies, 813 billion of them last year. But they know that smoking rates are plummeting. They say their new plan is for a smoke-free future. It's Patrick's job to convince us. The company recognises that we can't carry on um, with business as usual. There is a top-to-bottom commitment to change the business and to move from combustible tobacco products to smoke-free alternatives, whether it's e-cigarettes or, um, or heated tobacco. Patrick shows us what he means when he talks about heated tobacco. So I press the button. He's got a small, so just, slick uh, battery pack and a mini pack of cigarettes, which don't, are about half the length of normal too. ones. Uh, Except you can't button, smoke these cigarettes. You stick them in the oh, contraption and they heat up. Okay, they never get hot enough okay, to burn. It's like smoking without the smoke. The main problem with smoking is the smoke. The moment you light anything on fire, you create a a chemical factory. And the the key thing is to eliminate combustion from the process. You eliminate the combustion, you eliminate the smoke. 
you're in a position to offer people uh, a much um, a reduced risk alternative to uh, traditional cigarettes. Patrick's banking on these heated tobacco contraptions becoming legal in Australia. A big part of his job is making their case to the government, but it's a pretty hard sell. I think it's an outrage that in many countries around the world, smokers are denied the ability to choose smoke-free alternatives. And when we're fighting to change regulation, when we're fighting to legalize and liberalize this product category, it's also advancing an agenda of uh, personal choice and individual freedom. I've worked in tobacco control for 40 years, and in that time, I've seen uh, lights and miles fiasco. Those words are now banned. I've seen reduced. This is Simon Chapman from the School of Public Health at Sydney Uni. Sixty carcinogens. They went nowhere. We've also seen filters on cigarettes. They've been around for 50, 60 years. None of those things reduced the health consequences of tobacco use. It would be wonderful if something did come along, which did, but we don't want to let another evil genie out of the bottle. The product that they sell most of and that they predict that they will continue to sell most of uh, is cigarettes. It's not this uh, new stuff that they're talking about. And so um, they are rewarded for getting people to use a product which is going to kill two in three of their best customers. They're the customers who smoke most and for longest. There's a section of the community, a pretty big section of the community, that doesn't like my industry uh, and may not trust uh, my company. Uh, and as a result, when I meet with people, um, I'm fully aware of the fact that um, you know, they're looking at me as just another tobacco lobbyist. What do you think people think of you, that large section of the community that don't like tobacco lobbyists? I think, I think the judgments are, are, are based on, on legacy issues. Uh, we have to get over uh, the past. And um, for us, you know, the challenge is to demonstrate day by day, week by week, month by month, that um, we are changing as a company, we're changing as, as an industry, uh, and as individuals, we are genuinely committed to this change. They've got a long and colourful history to get past. Back in the grand old days, they could rely on making cigarettes look sexy. They had Hollywood starlets smoking and the Marlboro Man. Come to Marlboro country. But according to the LA Times, four of the actors who played him have died of smoking-related diseases. In the 1970s, as people cottoned on to the health impacts, they claimed that while women who smoke might have smaller babies, there's nothing wrong with that. And not only that, maybe women would prefer to have smaller babies. Have they been proved to be safe, Mr. Coleman? I believe they have not been proved to be unsafe because when, as and if, any ingredient in cigarette smoke is identified as being injurious to human health, we are confident that we can eliminate that ingredient. It's true. The babies born from women who smoke are smaller, but they're just as healthy as the babies born from women who do not smoke. What about the higher and rate some women deaths? would prefer having smaller babies 
In the late 90s, they commissioned a report in the Czech Republic which showed that even though smokers are more likely to die earlier, at least they were saving the government money. When smokers die, you don't have to pay for their health care or housing for them when they're old. Smoking's good for the economy, they said. In 2011, the Australian government introduced plain packaging and Philip Morris fought it. Along with a bunch of other tobacco companies, they took the Australian government to the High Court. They also tried to sue in an international court too. They lost both times. This is the company Patrick chooses to work for. When won't you sell cigarettes anymore then, if it is really a legacy issue? I think as a company, um, as soon as we can. What does that mean? I know that's not very specific, but... A number of things have to happen. Um, First and foremost, you need to have the consumer in a position where they are willing to switch. And I think the foundation is there to to see the Australian market uh, transform. Um, But with the current legislative and and regulatory environment in place, it's difficult to, to, to pinpoint a specific end date. 10 years, 20 years? It's difficult to pinpoint a specific end date at this point in time. When Philip Morris says they're going smoke-free because they should, do you understand that that might be really hard for a lot of people to believe that it's a moral choice? Absolutely. And I welcome the scepticism. I welcome the questioning uh, because it gives us an opportunity to tell our story. Um, This is not an easy job. This is not a run-of-the-mill industry. Um, But that's what makes it exciting. Um, If I was working for, um, you know, a a, a company or an industry that was free of controversy, I think I would be bored going to work every day. I like the fact that there's controversy. I like the fact that there's people who hold other views on, um, on the other side of the, um, uh, of the issue. Sometimes it's ideological, sometimes it's personal. But I think for most people, um, when, you, when you are able to sit down, talk through these issues, common sense uh, prevails, and that's one of the reasons why I'm so optimistic about, uh, about the future. How big a driver is the pay packet that you get? Yeah, it's, it's hard to say that money's not part of it, um, but I really genuinely love tobacco. I love what I do. Tonight, Patrick's working late. His little boy is playing Lego in his office while Patrick entertains business people in the foyer. Patrick's son is wearing a little suit. He looks like a mini version of his dad. If your child loves tobacco, will you mind? You know, he, he, he will make choices uh, for himself uh, when he becomes uh, an adult. But certainly if he, um, if he ever asks uh, me, he's too young to ask me these types of questions now, um, should I work for Philip Morris, I would definitely recommend it uh, to, uh, to my little one. Really? Absolutely. Absolutely. And what if he says, should I smoke? What about smoking, if you catch him smoking? I'll tell him not to smoke. He shouldn't smoke. He shouldn't drink. He, uh, he shouldn't gamble. He shouldn't do drugs. I mean, he's a kid. Uh, what, but will, I mean when he's, when he's grown up. He will make choices for himself when, he, uh, when he's an adult. 
How do you sleep at night? Are you comfortable with everything that you do? Not only am I comfortable with it, I'm very proud of what I do and I'm proud to work for this company. Um, I find that the tobacco industry for me is, it's the commercial manifestation of some of my most deeply held beliefs on personal choice, personal responsibility, and, um, and individual freedom. Freedom. Thanks so much for listening to How Do You Sleep at Night. That was the last episode of the season. If you haven't already, check out all our other episodes. We speak to a killer, abortion clinic protesters, a pokies billionaire. There's heaps to choose from and we'd love it if you could listen to them all. If you enjoyed our show, it would be amazing if you could leave us a review on iTunes and also the biggest help would be to share it with your friends. You can binge all six episodes right now on the new ABC Listen app, on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. I'm Sarah McVie. Dave McDonald and I made this series together and he made all the music. Sophie Townsend edited our scripts. Full credits are on the website. Thanks for listening. <laughs>